Sound it's Saturday night at eight o'clock or four thirty-one in East Umbria. You know what that means. Welcome to Sci-Fi <laughs> Saturday Night, everyone. <laughs> I am the wow. dome high above Area Fifty-One, looking at the UFOs go by in that crisp and clear evening. Uh, with this at the Austin, Austin Brighton Hellmouth in Boston, Kriana. I'm going to carry it over. Bazinga. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, don't, no, enough bazinga. No, boy. you can never have enough bazinga. Yeah, yeah well, you, can. <laughs> you, you actually can. Oh. <laughs> and from the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, we have Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead. How are you guys? Ah, uh, do do that voodoo that you do so well, sir. Mm. Good, good evening, everyone. <sighs> we have no. <laughs> quite a show tonight. We have a packed schedule indeed we got a lot of stuff to talk about here a lot of stuff going on and we're going to start off with something that x found go uh, for it friend yes well well first of all thank you to everyone who tuned in last week to listen to our uh, interview with uh scott wegner the artist of atomic robo uh found this little item this week that uh atomic robo is actually featured on the uh, the Apple iPhone ad. Uh, we're posting a link on our site, and if you go and look at the commercial for the Apple iPhone about 30 seconds in, you will see some artwork from the Atomic Robo uh, giveaway comic from Free Comic Book Day last year. Oh, how cool so, is that? So, Scott, congratulations on your, your major media breakthrough there, aside from being on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Actually, about, I'm just going to correct you. It's about eight seconds in for people who want to see it. It's only 30 seconds long. Well, with anticipation, it's 30 seconds. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's true oh but no we're always happy to, to you know see our uh, you know our guests uh, making good and right after appearing on our show coincidentally enough so. uh, i think we may we may be able to take a little bit of credit for that and i'm more than willing to do oh, that let's take it all why be- i do think we should timing Here. youtube videos there's an app for that <laughs> <laughs> So, so, Joss Whedon is about to make a film on San Diego Comic-Con attendees, aren't they? Um, hasn't that already happened with that one episode of Psych? I thought that was pretty accurate. Oh, it was... That, that was actually pretty funny, to be honest with you. I, I don't see this as being a good thing. Something tells me he was depressed after Dollhouse got canned, and he's walking around with a bottle of Mad Dog, and he ended up watching... 
the movie Detroit Rock City. And he's like, hey, if they can do that about Kiss, I can do that about any San Diego. And now he sobered up and he still thought it was a good idea. So, Well, it, it could be his version of Trekkers very easily. Yes, that's what I was thinking. And, it could. You gotta give him a. You gotta give him a chance. It's Joss. It is Joss. Well, you know what? Since it is Joss, let's see what's going to happen. Following the Joss Whedon uh, formula, one of these people will die. (laughs) (laughs) Usually, the one you like a lot. Right. How, How many of his actors do you think will make cameos, and which ones? Yeah. Well, which one? Whichever. Whichever one is actually wearing the red uniform, I think, will be the, the <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure we'll see a lot of um, Dr. Horrible people running around in there. Well, he's well, open. Well, especially since Dr. Horrible is set to do uh, episode two. That's right. Or segment two, technically, because there are three episodes of Dr. Horrible. Mm. Now, I'm a stickler. I can't help it. Okay. 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 <laughs> hey, back it up. Back it up. Keep drinking. I will. Thank you. Here, here. Where, where? Now. There, there. Why? Why do we need a film about San Diego Comic Con attendees? Are we going to get to watch people when the registration goes up, type away at their keyboards for three hours, and still not get hotel reservations? <laughs> Is that what we're going to get? <laughs> Oh, we just get people crammed in like sardines. Yeah, I mean, in the long line and realize, wait a minute, I didn't want to meet the, the the third guy from the left in the original Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to meet Peter Mayhew. <laughs> no, nobody Peter wants Mayhew. to meet Peter Mayhew. <laughs> Peter Mayhew's a sweetie. Don't insult Peter Mayhew. Nobody wants to meet him. I did. Yeah, and you sat there with him for 40 minutes because nobody else wanted to. No, because there were uh, only 10 people at that con. History will record that February 20th, 2010 was the episode in which (laughs) (laughs) Sci-Fi Saturday Night came to blows over Peter Mayhew. (laughs) He will end you. He is ginormous. Yeah, he was pretty large. He was pretty large. Not a question about it. Uh, that was that was one of the most interesting cons we ever went to in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I don't think little... they can do it anymore because they couldn't because not enough people showed up. Right, and it was like pouring rain and like you know torrential winds and like it took us. Uh, we had to stop the car like three times and pull off the road because we couldn't actually see where we were going. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> But you still had to go to the comic book convention. Well, we had to meet Bob Picardo and Ethan Phillips. Right. And Peter Mayhew. And Peter okay. Mayhew. And there was let's, that one astronaut guy there that nobody actually cared about. It was a little sad, actually. Let's let's examine the phrase had to. <laughs> Dude, it's a Dude. necessity. <laughs> it was a necessity. It was an absolute necessity. Well, Robert Picardo, I'd be like, okay, you scared the hell out of me in the howling. But other than that. He's a fantastic actor. Please, he was so good in Voyager. So good in yes, Voyager. And he has that whole CD of, of his, you know... I'll be sold for Christmas You can purchase me Little cards and little dolls 
builds my spaceship for your tree. Christmas Eve, you Oh, here we songs. Oh, come on, they're awesome. Oh, no. Are we gonna have the whole, uh, <laughs> the whole data thing now? Is it Oscar Winter? No, it's not. Tell the story. No, there, there was at one point a certain person who will be completely nameless, mostly because I can't remember his name, uh, was working at a certain comic book store, and when the, um, CD came out for Brent Spiner. Oh, you mean old, old Yellow Eyes? Yes, Old Yellow Eyes is back. And I just happened to look down. I went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And this guy looked at me from behind the counter and said, hey, Brent Spiner's a Tony winning actor. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I take my comics now and leave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well. Hey, before we go any further into this, uh, we should really uh, give a little taste of what, what's coming on this show tonight. Um, our guest tonight will be the uh, educator and video game desi- designer and video game defender, Bill McEntee. Um, go to mcentee.org to check him out before this, that starts. And we will also be starting a new segment tonight. Uh, News of the Weird with uh, the Dead Redhead. It's her official segment. It is. My wall is weird. So congratulations, Dead Redhead. You've been promoted. Thank you. Thank you. I'll send my hand right over to you and thanks. Mm. (laughs) Okay, don't do that, please. Okay. <laughs> Please say Bazinga. Please don't. Please Man Skeeto. There we go. So I have a bit of news that I was quite excited about. Go for Congratulations. it. Congratulations. In the in the realm of television, evil will Wheaton to return to Big Bang Theory. Our whole universe was in a hot dense state that nearly 14 million years ago expansion started. Wait, the earth began to cool, the autotrophs began to drool, Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall. We built the pyramids, math, science, history, unraveling the mystery that all started with a Big Bang. Thank you, God. I think that's kind of what Will Wheaton was thinking. So it was actually funny. I, I do not in any way stalk Will Wheaton or follow his blog or <laughs> wish he wasn't married or anything like that. So um, you say. No, no. Robert Picardo holds that in your spot in your heart. Sure, sure. But um, he posted uh, on his blog a Q&A from the last time he was on Big Bang Theory. He said, you know, we never really got to talk about it, but it was so much fun. Let me know your questions. Two days later, not even, he comes out with, they got, I got the call. They're asking me back, and I am so freaking psyched. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's crazy. Nice. What else awesome. is Will Wheaton doing right now? Not much. Um, <laughs> writing books, mostly, I think. He, he's yeah. put out a couple of books, and he does a lot of cons. Not a lot in this area, but he's actually doing a, a game con in this area quite soon. This has been much. What? <laughs> No. <laughs> what was that? Uh, my, com- my computer is telling me that my virus database has been updated. 
and it just shared it with the world. <laughs> hey, thank you, Mr. Microsoft. You jackass. God, do I hate Windows. Actually, it was a vast, so it was a little pirate, so it has Arr. to be R matey. <laughs> now, speaking of, of the Big Bang Theory, uh, apparently I'm late in the game on this, but I had just discovered today the website SheldonShirts.com, and I it's guess it's been around since. website, is it not? It is a wonderful website. Every shirt that Sheldon has ever worn on Big Bang Theory, they yeah. found out where you can Bell buy bottles, it. Everything, all all the little kitschy crap. And I think at one point, didn't they have a a, a model of the time machine that they had bought? Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, they did. Baby. My my theory is that this website will help completely destroy the fashion industry. <laughs> <laughs> Project Runway is going down hey. because of this. Well, I'm still waiting for a, a couple of We've Got Issues t-shirts from Double Midnight that we can give away here. Oh, no kidding. Those mm. are awesome. You mean oh, our fine, fine friends at Double Midnight? What? Our, our fine sponsors, Double Midnight Comics. Yes. Comics and Hi, collectibles. Chris, Quincy, Brett, we love you. In fact, I saw Quincy today. And, uh, you know, as, as I was perusing through the testosterone-laden gaming area. Oh, my God. <laughs> some, some, I, I swear to God that I've got to stop going on Saturdays. Because yes, you do. It's just, it's just ridiculous. You walk in there, and I walked in there with Drew, and, like, every male in the house went, ooh, a girl. <laughs> that, that's happened to us before. But as, as I was perusing the new... Uh, new comics that had just come in this week the one that caught my eye was uh, Supergirl 50 and why and was that I, well, was she wearing be- a low cut shirt would you shut no. up no oh wow but our, our own it. friend of the show Jamal Eigel uh, did the artwork for it and it is just exquisite yeah He's a, well, remember when we had him on before, he specifically told us, he says, now that I'm going to be doing Supergirl, I am going to make sure that she dresses the way a 16-year-old girl would dress. She's not going to look like one of these Halloween hoochie mama costumes. Right. Because his mother was looking at some of the Supergirl comics he was reading to catch up, and she was like, you are not allowed to draw her like this. <laughs> That's a true story. His mother yeah. told him that, and he had just had his daughter. So he was just like, I wouldn't want my daughter to think that this is how I expect yeah. her to dress at 16. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very iconic look for her, it's, and it's really good. I mean, if anyone's ever seen Supergirl art through the ages and remembers the 1980s with the... <laughs> the Olivia Newton-John look with the the sweatband. Oh my God! Yes, I think I think you need to post a Supergirl retrospective. <laughs> yeah, need no. Those who have seen bear the scars, and we will continue. <laughs> anyway, we have some comments from the Peanut Gallery. Our friend Mr. Washi, who's been a loyal listener, says we should have a new show called Project Nerdway. <laughs> <laughs> We love you, Mr. Washi. I, I think we should pitch it to Bravo. Yes, <laughs> here, here. Than what they've got on right now. See everybody walking down the runway in their Green Lantern shirts. It would be awesome. <laughs> it would be. 
I've always said, I mean, I think that Project Runway should have one of their challenges to do uh, fashions based on the designs of Jack Kirby. <laughs> and, and the trick would be don't go blind. <laughs> and could you imagine somebody trying to do um, what from Galactus? Galactus and that giant headpiece, trying to get that down the runway. <laughs> oh, that would yes, be beautiful. That would be beautiful. I've always wanted to do that as a Halloween costume, but, you know, we only have such a big house. <laughs> uh, we will post a link to ShelvinShirts uh, for you guys so that uh, those of you who are uh, listening and want to go check out, I mean, they're giving us nothing. There was, this is not a paid plug or anything. Right. It's just a really cool website. But if you uh, want to send us shirts, yeah, that'd be awesome. Guys at <laughs> Shirts, we, we'd we be happy you. to. We love you guys. Yes. Um, but more what? importantly, yeah. we were and if our here. listeners want to send us any product, any, uh, I'll take a beer and money sandwich. Hold the bread. <laughs> we also wow. Have, we also have a lovely donation button on the front of our website if you would like to support us. That's we right. In our endeavors, and the money goes right back to you in the form of you know things that we can give away as far as branded buttons and all sorts of cool stuff at conventions. And getting to meet us at cons and stuff like that. Here, here. Because everyone uh, wants to meet so. Magic Head. Careful. <laughs> Careful. Okay. That's the dome, not the Magic Head. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. All right. Sorry. So, leading the conversation back <laughs> it on topic. We don't want to lose the, the rating already, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to lose that 18 to 35 demographic we worked so hard on. Um, so I, I direct, it was announced this week that um, speaking about like Joss Whedon making a film about San Diego Comic-Con attendees, DC Comics has hired director Jeffrey Blitz and producer Sean Welch to make a documentary on the history of DC Comics. Why? Uh, because it will be, well... The, the, the kind thing would be to say that it's going to be an awesome documentary showing how DC Comics helped usher in the age of the superhero. They've been there since uh, June 1938's uh, issue of Action Comics. Snore. Why? Because that way they can rewrite history and say, exactly. you know, these guys, these guys didn't want to keep their copyrights. We... Exactly. We wanted to pay them royalties, and they said, no, no, we just love Please them. steal it from us. It's okay. <laughs> Please. Absolutely. Kane and Kirby are rolling in their grave right now. Uh, but, you know, at the very least, it will be a good way to see some great classic Golden Age art, and they'll trot out your favorite creators to talk about, oh, we did this wonderful issue of Green Lantern, and it was so socially relevant, and I'm sure it'll be a great it may even be balanced. It, I, you have been watching Fox way too much. Ouch. Oh we'll put it my. this way. Marvel has, for decades, had uh, Stan Lee be yeah. their, their, their hype spokesman and really plug the whole history of Marvel. And DC's He's done a really, damn good job of it. Yeah, he has. Yeah, to the point where the... You know, the fans of Jack Kirby and all the other creators and Steve Ditko have, you know, wanted to throttle the man. Right. So I think it's, it, DC <laughs> has not 
really tooted their own horn. So I, you know what, I am, I am looking forward to it, but I really hope that they don't try to sugarcoat some of the, the injustices they've done in the past. Agreed. Agreed. I could not well agree. Well said. And speaking of a DC Comics injustice, Smallville. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> After the joy that was that two-hour Jeff John Penn Justice Society episode. And he's not even you, being sarcastic. And no, you, sa- was- you sat here and said, hey, look, it was, was worth the seven years of bad garbage to see even I was. Even I'll say it was a good episode. It was so reverent and respectful, and I loved it. And, yeah, those days are over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> last night's episode. Oh, uh, we're bad to crap. Last night's episode, I was thinking, it's like, wow, they must have gotten Baywatch writers here. Yep. And it was just... <laughs> and it was on the edge of being misogynistic, as far as I was concerned. But... Superman Misogynistic? How so? Putting Lois in that 1950s Betty Crocker dress and expecting, oh, we're going to move. I'm going to move in next door so we can get engaged, Clark. Well, no, that was a lot like the 1950s Mort Weisinger era Superman storylines. Um, but I'm sure we just lost listeners who are just like, what? Who? Weisinger? Who's Weisinger? But uh, anyway, anyways, it's awful. And that's really not news. So there you go. Okay. In DVDs (laughs) this week, time traveler's wife wife came out on DVD. Uh, They've been hyping it all over the television. Um, No, they haven't. Yeah, they have. All ads for it every 15 minutes. X, you have a television? And uh, <laughs> do you mean that magic box with <laughs> pictures? Uh, that's the one we're talking about. Oh. I keep slaughtering calves, but it keeps coming on. <laughs> Here, here's the deal with the time travelers. There are all these dead cows in my living room. All right, enough. <laughs> enough. Gallon of goat's blood on your house. Oh, the cats are well fed. <laughs> Ew. But anyways, yes, tell us about the time traveler's wife. Were there robots? It's not science fiction. It's not science fiction? It really is. Oh, well then, next topic. Um, Caprica. No, and here's why why we're talking about it. Why are we talking about it? It's not science fiction in the same way that anything that Kurt Vonnegut wrote wasn't science fiction. Yeah, it was. Well, not according to Kurt. In fact, when Vonnegut first found out he was writing science fiction was when he walked into a Brentano's bookstore and saw that that's where his books had been shelved. Um, I, I got news for Mr. Vonnegut. Slaughterhouse-Five, part of it takes place on an alien planet, Trophamador. That, that implies science fiction. Not necessarily. What? And, and, here's, and here's why. Here's why. In many cases, there are authors who will use science fiction in the same way that they use an airplane crash or they use uh, uh, a boat hitting an iceberg. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's not science fiction. No, it does, because the, the intent is either this is of the genre or it isn't. And will the story stand without the content of the science fiction? And in this case, 
it's probably better if you don't think of it as a science fiction movie. So what you're saying is that some stories, the science fiction is the MacGuffin to make the story work. Exactly. It means nothing. Well, that's that's interesting because exactly. Stephen King argued that once. He he asked, you know, the original film Alien. He said is not a science fiction film. It is a horror film. I would agree with him. I would absolutely agree with him. And George Romero what, has said that none of his zombie films are actually the same way. He says they are other types. They're, so, they're social commentaries. They're not they horror have, films. They have zombies in them. That, that are used within the context of a science well, fiction framework, which doesn't make them science fiction. Now, the, the beauty of The Time Traveler's Wife <laughs> is, first of all, you have Rachel McAdams and Eric Bana. And, <laughs> Oh um, boy, the original Hulk. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Rachel McAdams was the original Hulk? I had no idea. Yeah, that's why no one saw it. <laughs> you know you have a thing for She Hulk. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. Ew. No question about it. Uh, Your Honor, we have Exhibit A. Exhibit <laughs> A is sitting up right at. Right, I'm staring at her right now, as a matter Gross. of fact. And too much information. So, so tell me why I should watch a movie that is not even science fiction, that has no robots, death rays, or, or aliens. Because it's a damn good movie. Does it even have a sing-along? No, there's no sing-along oh, either. Screw it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and, and worst, worst of all is that when you give up your willing suspension of belief, as you do, because... I'm sorry, she's just too... Rachel McAdams is just too good in this movie for you to go, shit, that can't happen. Shit, that can't happen. I mean, because one of the things that, you know, science fiction canon about time travel is you cannot meet yourself. Yeah, you can. Sure you can, it just causes issues. Paradox. It causes a paradox. And in these cases, when it occurs, there is no paradox. It just simply happens. Yeah. Is this the whole Twilight is really supposed to be about vampires thing? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? It's about no, Mormons. Twilight is about Mormons? Yeah. I had no idea. But Davy, the pretty kids are all twinkly inside. Oh, no. I just want to kiss them a little. Oh, 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 oh. oh man, we lost our PG rating. <laughs> so, so how pregnant am I? Um, we weren't gonna say anything. Shh. But anyways. Anyway. So, getting back to the time traveler's wife. It's a great film. It's a great film. I'm not sure that it's science fiction. Now, I'll I, buy the fact that it's time travel, although I disagree with the way they make the time travel work and some of the problems that ensue because of it. But it's a great film. And you'll enjoy it. You'll absolutely, it's an enjoyable film. Maybe. I remember reading the reviews when it came out, and it was uniformly... It, not pan, but they are all like, meh. So why, just, is it just the fact that it's a, the writing, the directing, the acting? Um, okay, the writing, if you read the book, and the, the big problem when it came out on film, uh, when it came into the theaters, 
was that people went, but this isn't the book. And no, it isn't. Uh, although it's based on the book, there's a lot of the book that's been left out. Uh, you either accept that or you don't. I choose to, having read the book and been in this position any number of times where I've read a book and been disappointed because the movie doesn't follow the book, decided, you know, I was going to toss the book experience away and just take this as a separate entity. By doing that, it's a fine film. There were a lot of people who couldn't and didn't do that. And that was the problem when it came out on film. I think also it's a much better, it's a much better experience, uh, alone uh instead of in a group it's one of those movies that it's better as being like with three or four people as opposed to 75 or 150 or 300 in a theater yeah you're you're not helping this movie anyway yeah (laughs) does this have to do with rachel mcadams again (laughs) (laughs) ah red (laughs) ew did we have to go there well uh she's stunningly beautiful Anyway, moving on. No, Comics you, Corner, I believe, is our next topic. No, yeah, I'm not done. done. No, I'm we're not done. done. We're done. done. Non-science fiction, not even that great movie. Dome. You have Whatever it is, it cannot be possibly be more important than a comic book. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so. Ah, moving on. <laughs> oh, we're, go- we're going to go to steampunk now, are we? Steampunk is awesome. I love steampunk. Actually, Not quite for, steampunk. I'm going to brag a little bit. For, for Valentine's Day, my, my Zombrarian got me a steampunk necklace from Etsy. Did she? She I'll did. Better. Actually, it's a fantastic... Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Redhead. No, I was just saying for Halloween, I was girl genius. Oh, nice. Mm. Nice. There's a fantastic seller on Etsy. She, she lives um, right near Worcester. Um, in, in my home state of Massachusetts, and her, her handle is Steampunk Station on Etsy, and she has some fantastic jewelry. I would highly recommend her. Ooh. Go ahead. That's another free plug we're giving away. I we're know. not getting anything for. <laughs> we're giving it away. But, but she's fantastic. This is not the first piece we've, we've gotten from her, and we've always been, for, for the prices that she charges, I think she could charge much more. Hmm. Well, we'll all have to check her out and give her a ga- gobs of money. That we don't have. After well, we get ours. That we don't have, yes. Here, here. So, <laughs> comics. And on that note. And on that note, it's, uh, it's about the halfway point, isn't it? Which means it's time for our weekly trivia question. Well, actually, let's, let's do the comics first, because that's, that seems like a good stopping point, doesn't it? Yeah, let's 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 get your comic out of the way. You know the comic book thing. Oh, hey, thank you. We were talk about. Let's get let's scrape it off our shoes, as it were. Here, oh, no, it's clearly it. more it's important so than Rachel McAdams. Mm. Fine. No, um, this is a comic that came out last week. Actually, it's a new series from Dynamite Entertainment called Legendary Tail Spinners, and basically, this is for fans of the Vertigo series Fables. If you're a fan of fables, this follows a lot of that same storyline where you have fictional characters coming to life, interacting with the real world. Uh, what, I, what I really like about this, though, and by, for the record, I think I'm one of the only people who really doesn't like fables. I respect it, 
but I just never got into it. But this. And you're wrong to not do so. But... Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Sorry, I'll be quiet now. Story of my life here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this caught my eye right away because I. I just think the first of all the artwork is wonderful. This reminds me of Don Bluth animation. This has that wonderful Dragon's Lair, Secret of Nim look to it. Very highly detailed, and um, I have to admit, they I, they took elements from the comic book I did. <laughs> I did a series uh, back in the day. That's not what this no, is about. No, <laughs> but uh, I'm reading this and I'm like, why does this seem familiar? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is from a comic I did called 23 Skidoo. I mean, it's very broad, but there is a. Uh, my character of Sally is in this. There's this librarian. She's built, she's got this uh, same coat as my character, drawn very similar. Same type of uh, tiled floors, the same, same type of, right. I mean, some of the panels, I'm like, oh my God, did someone actually buy my book? But uh, I was just very impressed with the story. Um, I think this is a wonderful read. It's good for all ages. Story by James Kohorek, Art and Colors by Grant Bond. Highly recommended if someone doesn't want to have to read one of the, the standard Marvel and DC crossovers. Please support Legendary Tailspinners. And on that note, let's head on to the trivia question. Dome, what have we got this week? Our trivia question comes from classic science fiction. So for those of you who are actually readers instead of mouth breathers, you might have a shot at this one. <laughs> That's you, Mr. Washi. Oh, you said the M word. <laughs> I did. Okay. Tonight's question is this. Name the group started in the 19th century whose purpose was to extend the lives of individual humans and the species as a whole. This group was first mentioned in the book Methuselah's Children and continues in Time Enough for Love, To Sail Beyond the Sunset, and The Cat Who Walked Through Walls. The first person who can get onto our website and comment in the comments section under trivia for tonight and give the correct answer to that will win the following. They win uh, the Whiteout graphic novel number one, uh, courtesy of Liberty Books and Comics in, in New Hampshire, and um, a, a canvas, a beautiful canvas painting of Stickman, which is a character done by Daniel Daniel Larson. Excellent. So, Dome, you're not looking for the author; you're looking for the name of the group. The group that's purpose is to. Um, Extend the human race. The longevity. Correct. Alrighty then. Um, and if we don't have anything else to talk about, I can bring in our guest. Is our guest holding? Our, our guest is, is <laughs> ready to go. When, when we is are. the anticipation killing him here? <laughs> Woohoo! I'm just going to add him to the call now. Oh, bring him on in. 
Hello. Well, let me just do an intro then. Uh, our guest tonight is an uh, educator, uh, video game designer, and defender, Bill McEntee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, he's on the call now. <laughs> uh, and, uh, By the way. Oh, he's on? Oh. Yeah. Hello, Bill. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Hey, good to have you here. Now, Bill, uh, we see at your website, mackintee.org, that uh, you are, you basically talk about the educational power of video games. Now, I got to tell you something. Having grown up in the 70s, I saw the dawn of video games. And right from the mid-70s on, all I ever heard about for years was how bad video games are for people. How they just rot your kids' minds, and yes, they're good for hand-eye coordination. That was always proven right off the bat, but otherwise, Vice City, Doom, Quake, Halo—it's just turn. It's just basically drug video drugs. So, how do you talk to parents and educators and say, no, no, no? It's a good thing for them to play Vice City. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, first of all, again, Brian, th- thank you very much for having me. Uh, uh, Who? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Illustrator X. <laughs> Sorry, Illustrator X. I apologize. <laughs> Way to go, X. You actually made him say it. I'm proud of you. <laughs> so so here's, here's the thing. Like, it's kind of funny that you're saying this. Um, the video games deserve in many ways, this horrible reputation that they have of being these mighty wasters of time that are a sort of a black hole for our, our kids' attention. And it, I think it's kind of neat. So, so your whole career is a lie? That's exactly right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> more questions? Well, I, I'm glad we've got that up front. Yeah, uh, any more questions? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're pretty much done. Yeah, where were you for the last half hour? hour. Yeah, right. So the thing is, is that, you know, we, if we look at even the, the old Atari 2600 games like Tank and, and um, Asteroids and Pong and even Frogger and all those classic Atari 2600 games, and then just take a look at something, something more contemporary like Age of Empires or Civilization, the complexity and, and the, the difficulty in these games has, has exponentially risen. And this this increase in difficulty and complexity has also it sort of pa- paralleled the course of technology and education. So back when we were playing around with Atari twenty six hundreds, you know, a school might have had, if it was a well funded school, one computer that was you know you saved everything on a tape drive, and and you know you might have taught the kids basic. You, you know what I'm saying? So. There's this sort of growth in 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 how we think about technology and education, and how we think about games and education that's happened, and it it's really kind of interesting the way it's converged. And one of the first things that I tell people whenever I talk about video games and learning is it, it's not a panacea, and that and that if you stick a kid in front of a computer for an hour and you expect something magic to happen, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, 
And that does, it doesn't matter if we're talking about games or we're talking about some strange software where you have to answer five multiplication questions and then you can blast off into outer space. The, the, the real thing, and this is, what's, this is the interesting thing about games and education, is this, this idea of instructional design. And so what we've done is we've been really successful at using games to help, to help kids learn. And what happens is, is you, you can't ask a kid to, to, to play Doom or, or Quake or Team Fortress 2 or World of Warcraft or EVE Online or any of these. Oh, hot... yes, you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mea culpa, mea culpa. Um, our, our sort of understanding, Brian, I'm uh, sorry, Illustrator X, our, our kind of understanding of, first of all, what is a video game? That's gotten, there's a, there's a lot of sort of, we could talk about what is a video game, and then we could talk about what is learning. And there's been some real serious academic thought that has gone in to sort of answering these two questions, like what constitutes a video game and what constitutes learning? And it turns out that that there's actually a lot of different video games and depending on the game that you're playing and the learning that you're shooting for, there's some fantastic candidates out there today that really improve learning. Like everyone who's listening to this show and I'm sure all of you in, in the room remember Oregon trail. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and Oregon Trail is, is arguably the first real, true educational game. Like, I mean, there were others before it, and there's some classic titles, but Oregon Trail was the game that kind of led the way for us to start thinking about kids having fun and playing games. Um, I'd just sort of like to share with you guys, if you don't mind, I'm sort of sensitive to our time here, but... I'd like to tell you how I, I got started with this, and I think it, it will directly address your, your question, Illustrator X. Do you, do you mind if I do that? Only because you called me Illustrator X. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Bill, don't worry about the time. This is the beauty of podcasts. We have no spon- well, we have sponsors, but none that demand spots every few seconds, and we have no sports events to cut into us, so take your time. Like the old days, okay. yes. We're good. So that's okay. So listen, guys, this is actually really cool. So um, I was a school teacher um, on Martha's Vineyard um, at the Edgartown School, and I was asked to be the faculty advisor for this thing called the Yu-Gi-Oh Card Club. Okay, <laughs> and, and, you know, all, right? It's, it's a special. It's a special little place in hell that that teachers go. <laughs> So listen to this. I'm I'm sitting there in a in a in a school cafeteria, and there's about fifty kids there, okay, and they're playing this Yu-Gi-Oh card game. Now, I mean, you guys all know what Yu-Gi-Oh card game is about, mm-hmm. and I'm sure all your listeners know what Yu-Gi-Oh card game is. Whenever I speak at a conference or I talk to some educators, I read them a section of the Yu-Gi-Oh rulebook. And what was stunning to me, guys, and I, I'm really, I really mean this, what was stunning to me is almost every single one of these kids was labeled as lazy, inattentive, had learning difficulties, mm-hmm. wasn't a kid who could succeed academically. And I mean almost down to every kid. But here they were memorizing a 150-page rule book 
able to understand complex dynamics, arguing with each other, um, cooperatively playing, cooperatively learning with each other. And it was real. Like it wasn't, it wasn't fluff. And I saw them come week after week after week after week. And I said, wait a minute, something isn't jiving here. I mean, you say this kid can't focus. I'm watching this kid spend an hour and a half organizing his deck for optimal results. (laughs) Well, you know, as a former educator myself, that really doesn't surprise me. Uh, only because I had one foot in technology at the same time I had another foot in education. Uh, whereas with a traditional educator, I can see where they would go, hmm. huh? Because a lot yeah. of them did that. Actually, I just want to uh, break in at this point. Any of our uh, listeners out there who happen to be educators, by all means, write in with some questions. This is very good. Yeah, absolutely, because... Uh, yeah. One of the things that bothered me most of all as an educator was that not that the line got blurred between education and entertainment, uh, which, frankly, I didn't think was a bad idea. I thought the more entertaining it was, the better chance we got for, for it to get through. But that there became a genre of, of, of technology that labeled itself as edutainment Right, and that I thought was more misleading than anything else because, uh, you know, the comment you made about no matter, you know, sticking a kid in front of it doesn't make it work. Hmm. Yeah, but then, but then, how do you apply the skills they have from the game into education? So, so, so here's the. This is the whole. This question is the whole thing okay so what i so here's what happened i was at the card i was like we have to take advantage of this so um fortunately no one in my school really knew about computers or technology i was the technology guy at my school so i taught grades three through eight i taught computer science once a week to them but then i also sort of managed the servers and i managed the infrastructure and the network and all that stuff and i started to experiment So what I would do is I got Civilization, which is a classic AAA commercial off-the-shelf game, okay? It's just a classic game. And what we should talk about at some point is different categories of games. But for now, I mean, also I think anyone listening to your show is going to know that Civilization is just a classic game. It was by Sid Meier. He's now uh, uh, Firaxis Studios. And he's just – it's a legendary game. And Uh. and basically – the civilization. So what happens, Illustrator X, and is we were sort of not looking at games and saying, well, if you play this game, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be smart. We sort of tried that and it didn't work because what happens is the kids just sit in front of the games and zone out. And zoning out is actually an important part of why games are successful. It's this idea of flow, and we can talk about that later if you want to also. But what really happens, what really makes this work is when you invite the social studies teacher into your classroom or a history teacher into your classroom and you ask them, well, what are you teaching? Well, we're teaching westward expansionism. So you start up SimCity or I'm sorry, you start up civilization in like, you know, the late 1800s or the early 1800s. 
when railroads were being built and things were happening in the United States and the growth of our country, we were moving westward. And the kids get to understand all the dynamics that came together in order to make this time and period in American history happen. And then they get to play with those dynamics. And then they go back to their classroom. So they come into the computer lab for three or four, three or four classes. They play a civilization. We ask them to think about it. And they come back into their classroom amped. I mean, they are motivated. They're enthusiastic. They're excited. They're engaged. And these are the same kids that don't want to engage so you have a classroom conversation, and all of a sudden the kid doesn't say anything. He's, he's jumping out of his chair trying to answer questions about the relationship between, you know, railroads, commerce, all that stuff. It's, it's like solid gold. It, from an educational point of view, it's solid gold. And so we don't look at the experience. And this is where a lot of these edutainment titles sort of fell flat on their face is – what we, what we tried to do is we tried to say, oh, great, technology, and you put a kid in front of a computer and you let them play the game and they're happy and they're quiet, but after they're done, they don't really know anything more or less than they knew before they started the game. Whereas when we took a commercial off-the-shelf game, like a really fun game, and we asked the kids to think about things as they're playing the game, and then we asked them to reflect on that experience after they were done playing the game, it was an incredible, incredible educational experience. And this, this really is the heart. This is the middle part of what games and education are all about. And that's having the kids play this really fun, really cool game, and then reflecting on that experience. And it is, it is absolutely fantastic. Does that make sense so- to you guys? Bill, Bill, we have a question. First of all, uh, Mr. Mr. Washi, our loyal listener, is on TalkShoe. And unfortunately, he's died of dysentery, but from the grave. Um, he has a question for you. What kind of after-game activities do you recommend for the kids to critically analyze game experience? So this spe- there's like three specific activities. Let's just specifically answer his question. The first one is a classroom discussion. Okay, so, and you can grade a classroom discussion. That's the first thing. The second thing that we ask the kids to do is to write a story, and this improves um, literacy and uh, reading um, fluency. So we'll ask the kids to write a story about what happened in their game when they turned it off, and the kids love this. And then the third activity that we use after we're done playing a game, and this is really fun, the kids love it, you ask them to blog as one of the characters in the game, okay? So the kids have this sort of macro, big-picture idea of what happened in the game world. And, and then, again, again, you have these kids that don't do – you know, they're labeled as lazy or they're labeled as – you know, they don't want to participate in class. And here they are writing five pages in their character – about the game experience. So this directly translates into a very, very valuable learning experience. I mean, you know, I guess if you wanted to, you could give the kids a quiz or a test or ask them to write a paper or ask them to sort of design a game on paper based on a computer game that they just played. But those are the three big ones, is to have a class discussion, is to um, ask the kids to write a short essay on what 
what happened when the game ended. And then the really fun one is for the kids to um, blog as one of the characters inside the game. So maybe they could blog as a settler, if we're talking about civilization. And the settler is going west, and what are they looking for when they settle a, when they settle a city? Uh, do you think that answers the question well? Um, yes, he said it's very cool, especially the blogging part. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, here's the thing, guys. Like, w- there's peer-reviewed journal research that talks about how using technology increases student engagement, enthusiasm, and motivation. So we know that when we throw a, class, a computer into a classroom or if a teacher uses a computer while they're teaching, student motivation, student engagement goes through the roof. It's actually a really cool thing to see. So if we can use that or somehow mix that in with good teaching and good learning, it is absolutely a recipe for success. And I just want to go back to what I said to you at the very beginning of this, which is we don't see, I don't see uh, computers and and games as kind of the end-all, be-all. Like I don't advocate, I would never advocate for only using games to teach or only using technology to teach. I think there's some things that technology does really poorly in the classroom. But especially with that sort of lower end, the kids that are sort of labeled as the, sort of the on the lower third percent, the lower 33% of your student body, I think games can really, really pick them up. It's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing to see. Wow. Okay. Now, what kind of, uh, do you have any, uh, how long has this been going on? I mean, do you have any kind of long-term stats to show uh, like increased uh, grades over time? So, Brian, I, I mean, sorry, Illustrator X, this, this <laughs> is, this, sorry, buddy. All right, put the drink down. <laughs> I know, I step away from the Jameson. So this is actually, this is the big question. And here's the thing. So the short answer to your question is no, just to be upfront and honest with you about this. The longer answer to your question is schools are still trying to figure out how to use technology. So when we like to say to people is that the story of games and education is the story of technology and education. And I'm telling you, man, in 2010, schools are still absolutely confused about about when to use technology, how to use technology, and they don't know if technology is making a difference in learning. So there's this thing called the halo effect. And the halo <laughs> effect is we have a group of students who are excited and motivated and enthusiastic, their grades go up. And so we know that when we use technology, kids get enthusiastic and motivated. And we don't know if that's why their grades are going up or we don't know if it's because something else is going up. We do know that when we use technology to teach, they get higher grades. Oh, and by the way, Illustrator X, just so you know, there's a a massive amount of debate about whether or not a letter grade or a score on a standardized test is a good way to measure learning it, it you know what i'm saying so what if you have teachers who are listening <laughs> are you wait a minute wait a minute you tell me this now after i got out of college <laughs> i'm like man i just took the gres actually bill we have another question from the from the peanut gallery nancy drew just joined us also on talk show yep. and she's wondering um what specific level of education do you think that this technique would be best for 
So I think that this works really well in the middle school, starting at grade six and up into the high school till about grades 10 or 11. Um, after grade 11, I really like to see kids engaging in a much more sort of critical and, and analysis, analyzing ideas and thinking about ideas, and, and not so much the kind of learning that a game can confer. You know it's actually amazing, and it's hard to find time for it, is when you ask kids to mod a game or to change a game or to even create a game. Like, um, let's see, Neverwinter Nights, um, there was a group at MIT that mod Neverwinter Nights to the year 1777. And, and you would walk around the game. Oh, man, it was so cool. I think it's the Aurora engine. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Aurora or Aurora engine. And it makes modding games really easy and incredibly dynamic. And so what happened is these kids, the, the MIT students, designed this game. So it was like the American Revolution. And you would walk around and interact with characters. And it was like a high-quality game. It looked great. And kids loved it. And they extended this game and they made the characters deeper. And you can have sort of this idea of branching strategies and things like that. So th I would say before sixth grade, I'm very, I'm very bullish on using technology. I think especially younger kids, they need to use their bodies to learn. Like that's kind of how little kids learn. But in sixth grade, I think kids know enough about technology and they're able to actually think abstractly. I don't think before sixth grade, kids are very good at thinking abstractly. Now, I, the obvious question now is, what are your favorite video games? <laughs> well, I mean, I've got a ton of them. I, I have to say, I, um, there's a guy named Mark Prensky, okay? And Mark Prensky is somebody you should really pay attention to if you're at all interested in the games and education movement. And he was really the guy that got me started in this like i went i spoke at a conference um uh in california three or four years ago and i was talking to them about games education much like what i'm talking to you about and this guy introduced himself and two days later i was talking to the wall street Journal, and this is a guy who's written a couple books about exactly how games work and he has this term called digital immigrants and digital natives and the way that he thinks about it is that there's people who are born into technology and know technology, and there's people who sort of have it, technology sort of happened after they were in their formative youth. And it turns out that these digital natives kind of immediately grasp how to use technology and are much easier to teach. Does, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Um, my, but, I, so I'm a, so but, let me answer your question. I'm digital native. Okay. All right. My, I'll, I'll kind of go, I'll go through a little list here. My, my favorite games when I started off were the, the Infocom games, the text-based games. They still remain a favorite. Sort. I love, yeah. It, Mind Forever Voyaging, Trinity, um, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide. Guide. Um, yeah. I mean, these games were, classic and i ran two years ago i ran an after-school club where the kids made text-based games and it was shocking to me that in 2008 in the era of playstation and high de definition tv and rich graphics these kids could not get away 
from this game. They loved this creation. But Bill, hey. do, doesn't it come down to the fact over and over again that each time we hit a new cusp in technology, that there there is a series of Luddites who will sit and go, well, the end is near. This can certainly do nothing but, you know, bring the end of society as we know it. Guys, and then it's talking about X again. No. <laughs> Hey, you know what, folks? Before we, we even get onto that topic, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Dome, uh, I see it's top of the hour. I do just want to give a quick shout out that this is uh, sci fi Saturday night.com. And uh, right now, it's time for our new segment with uh, the Dead Redhead. So. Oh, goodness, it is. It is. So, Mr. And, and, Mr. And McEntee, or Professor McEntee, if, uh, however your royal title is, uh, we. I have some questions for you. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. Thank you, everybody. This is our new segment, and I'm the dead redhead. And we're going to be doing something with the wall of weird. And actually, Bill, what we'd like you to do is play along with us this time. We have... Much in the, uh, given the props to wait, wait, don't tell me, um, we're going to be telling you about six very short condensed stories and from the Wall of the Weird, and you need to tell us which one is the fake one, Bill. Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> it's a game. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do the best I can. I, I will say this. I'm, I'm a little bit gullible, and so... Uh, I, I hope I hope I can play this game well with you guys. Okay, um, go ahead. Throw, throw Bill, that. Bill you, yeah. you're screwed. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, throw throw them at me, dead redhead. I'm I'm curious now. Okay, what we're going to start with is this, Singapore has been accused of stealing whole beaches from some of their partners. Some of the, uh, the uh, beaches of Indonesia and Malaysia uh, have been losing their beaches due to thieves who have been taking them the beach sand, actual sand, from the countries and taking it over to Singapore because Singapore is trying to expand its coastline to be able to have, as you can imagine, more condos and more houses down by the beach coast and so forth. And they expect that within the next decade, unless something gets stopped, that they're actually going to impact the coastline and the, uh, uh, the whole area of the beaches for Malaysia and Indonesia. And they've actually caught people with literally lorries full of sand, what they're calling lorries. I'm assuming it's something like a, a coal bin or something. Uh, that at night they go over and they stop these boats filled with sand that they're taking over to another country. Okay. That's okay. our that's, weird that's, number one. That's a weird one. That's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> and it may or may not be true. That's very true. So, so number two. Number two, and I think a lot of our fans are going to really love this one, is that... BBC scriptwriters trying to use Doctor Who to bring down Margaret Thatcher's politics. 
Left-wing scriptwriters hired by the BBC during the 1980s tried to inspire a quote-unquote TARDIS revolution by using Doctor Who as propaganda to undermine the Tory Prime Minister. Once serial, they characterized her as a vicious and egotistical alien ruler who banned outward displays of unhappiness among her downtrodden people and used a secret police to oppress the dissidents. Former actors and writers on the show admitted that there is also a thinly veiled support for the miners' strike and the campaign for nuclear disarmament. Uh, this comes during the time when we had Sylvester McCoy as Doctor Who, and which he was played the Doctor from 1987 to 1989. And they said that our feeling was that Margaret Thatcher was far more terrifying than any monster the Doctor Who had ever encountered. <laughs> okay. 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 And that was weird. Number two. Number three. <laughs> Number three is that Universal Studios and Joe Johnston, uh, the director of the new The Wolfman movie, movie, is being sued by Mr. Jesus Lopez of Lima, Peru, for the script to the newly released The Wolfman movie, saying that they have stolen his story of his life. Senor Lopez alleges, through his interpreter, that although this movie is set in Victorian England, uh, that he is, uh, Mr. Senor Lopez, according to the article, is medically diagnosed with poor, um, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, but porphyria, porphyria uh, which includes symptoms of, that he has 95% of his body is covered in a coarse, thick black hair, and that he has a sensitivity to sunlight, and he can only come out at night. And he says he was in talks to sell the movie rights to his life, but after seeing the Universal movie, the backers withdrew their bids for his story and that he's suing for an unspecified damages at this point. That's very okay. strange. Okay. <laughs> I told you that was weird. <laughs> I promised. Okay. <laughs> you remember that, uh, you remember well, that TV show Seinfeld? There was a guy who sued them because he thought they looked like one of the characters or something like that? Oh, that is right. That is absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Right. Now, here's another weird one from our wall that uh, they just released actually quite a number of reports in England from of UFOs, uh, sightings that UFOs that were sent to the Ministry of Defense, about 6,000 pages of material that was gathered between 1994 and 2000, revealing the details of hundreds of UFOs experiences for folks in uh, the UK, one of which was a UFO that was in the shape of a Toblerone candy. So they're calling that one the Toblerone UFO. Okay, okay. And then our last one actually is a new website uh, just recently found. It's called Polyvore. And once again, in, in line with everything else tonight of us giving shout-outs to people who were not being paid for, I literally uh, came across this. And for any of our female listeners, or maybe some of our male listeners, who enjoy fashion, although you guys are always putting down my Project Runway, you know how much I love that show. Project Runway. Um, <laughs> Project Nerdway, that's right. Win. 
is polyvore, apparently they encourage people to pick out a great female from either history or mythology and to find different pieces of clothing and accessories online, bring that to the site to dress the uh, character of your choice, and you just have to have a little link so that people can then, if they like that piece of clothing or accessory, they can click on the link and go find that piece of clothing out there. Okay, so we have Singapore is stealing beaches. Doctor Who's worst villain was Margaret Thatcher. The Wolfman is real. Toblerones from outer space. And a new website to dress the inner goddess within you. <laughs> have fun with this one, Bill. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm wrapped up on this one, man. This, this, this is impossible. So what do you want me to do? you want me to tell you, like, what I think of each one? Or do you want me to find one of them that I think? Which isn't, one's the isn't, fake? One, one of, of these things is, is not like, not the, like others. the others. <laughs> the scary part is all but one of them are absolutely true. One of these things we made up right before the show. Okay, so let me just let me talk out loud about this. The 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 Singapore thing, I I don't think people are stealing sand from the Singapore beaches, but I I do think global warming might be real. And I wonder if these poor people in Singapore are a little confused Mm -hmm. about why their beaches are going away. So I'm gonna I think that that might be true. I think that I think everyone in the government always complains about scriptwriters being leftist. Like I think that's a common, a common complaint. But I I don't know if these guys who were writing Doctor Who did it deliberately. But that one might be true also. The Wolfman thing. I don't know. You know, the only one that I could, that I'm thinking is this inner goddess thing. It's the, that's the one that seems to stick out to me because I mean the internet is a weird place, guys. But that's just like wow, weird. Like that's a whole another level of weird. That's like wow, weird. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, Bill. So is that your final answer? Oh boy, I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. So the inner goddess one is 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 the one that's not true. How, how did I do? Okay, uh, Dead Redhead, uh, can you explain to him which one we made up? Believe it or not, Bill, it's the one about the guy suing the movie The Wolfman about no movies. <laughs> <laughs> we all came up with that one. We figured in light of people suing movies left and right about this and that, that it would sound pretty true if we put it out there. Oh, you, it does. I, I thought it actually sounded very reasonable. Oh, my God. You mean there's really a website where you can dress your inner goddess? Not, not only is there one, we will post a link to it when we, we post, post the podcast the tomorrow. Absolutely. It is called Polyvore, P-O-L-Y-V-O-R-E.com. And what they do is they give you, you can make a background, such as they have two versions of Neil Gaiman's character, Death. Somebody had drawn a background, and they went and found dresses and things all over the Internet and actually placed them on the little pictures. And then there are links, and you just kind of click on the piece of clothing you like, and it'll take you to the link of where you can buy that piece of clothing. 
You know, it, every day when I find something <laughs> on the internet, I lose my faith in humanity. And uh, this has yet again eroded my my confidence in, in our, the human race. And, okay. and yet, Bill, it does the exact Whatever. opposite for me. See, I thought it was really cool. <laughs> I, I look at it and I go, God bless Vespucci land. <laughs> Thank you, Al Gore, for inventing the internet. That's Absolutely. right, the interwebs. <laughs> See, now, I was sure you'd go for the Toblerone from outer space, but that one also is true. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that one. Yeah, that one actually sounds right. You know, it, people. Well, as soon as you start talking about UFOs, you sort of have to say, yeah, everyone's seen everything shaped like every part of a of a UFO. <laughs> I, guess. I don't know. Wow. Well, even- do you want do you want to hear something strange? Oh, Jesus. The uh, you know, New Hampshire is uh, one of the sites of uh, some of the most well documented UFO. Uh, cases uh, in oh, the world. Exeter, absolutely. Yeah. And the uh, New Hampshire uh, division of MUFON, uh, Mutual UFO Network, shut down last month. <gasps> no! Handle the flack from the Granite State skeptics. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, they no longer exist. Oh, that's a shame. They were nice folks. I remember when they were on the radio show. Yeah, they were very nice. And I, I was actually contacting them to get back in touch with them to bring and their website is shut down and everything. Oh, my. Oh. Well, I, there's some fun website. There's one that's called, I believe, UFO History or something like that that I like to go to every once in a while. And unfortunately, it's mostly uh, storied with the, you know, looking like a flashlight shown on a, a somebody, somebody's flat barn door or something and it's like it's UFO Um, or some kind of little blip and then every once in a while you'll get this weird thing where you're like I have no idea what that might be well you know who could probably answer that question is Travis of the Granite State Skeptics yeah Ah. probably could (coughs) they actually went on an anti-ghost hunt uh, at Halloween which we covered and, and he was very interesting when he came back with the results of all the things that people had seen at this place that they'd been able to debunk quite easily, it seemed. Um, except for the one guy who heard voices. Um, yeah. That could be a, <laughs> uh, that could be something for quite a different organization. Yeah, to take you know, part. well, there's only so much you can do. This yeah, is- that, that goes all the way back to the secret of NIM, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. So that also means that the one about the beaches is also correct, Bill. They actually had, uh, I guess they have shut down lorries filled with uh, sand being driven by these thieves stealing sand from other countries and then putting them past this little causeway that's near the country so that they can give them more beachfront property. Uh, You know, I guess guess anybody will do anything to make a buck. That's 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 amazing that they're actually stealing the beach. That's, Sand, yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody. And uh, I don't know if we'll do this every week, but certainly when we have some weird things to talk about, we can play the wall of weird again.
Well, thanks. Thanks, Redhead. This was uh, a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Now we'll go find X again and see what happened to him. Is he still there? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. He just ran down for a second. He'll be right back. Uh. (sighs) Anyway, consequently, Bill, you were correct before. It was the Aurora engine for Neverwinter Nights 1. Oh, okay. Thank you. I, I, I yeah. looked it up because I'm actually currently playing Neverwinter Nights one again. Oh, it's two yet. It, it's a classic. It's a classic game. I just love it, and there's nothing that's really come out recently that really compares to that style, which I adore. Well, I remember you know, when you first got into that too. That was a long time ago. And what did I like doing? I liked modding Baldur's Gate one and two. Wait a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Kriana did was a long time ago. <laughs> Oh, okay. I deserve that. <laughs> Just because she's I'm the youngest eight, one eight. here. That's right. Actually, I think Zombarian is technically the youngest on staff. Yes. You can rub that in your face a little bit. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I just took advantage of the um, the whole wall of weird block there to go downstairs and and play Atari. So now I'm smarter for the rest. <laughs> of the <day. laughs> That's what she said. Hmm. So my question then is: I've owned an Atari 2600 for the past almost 30 years now. Why why am I broke? <laughs> anyone can answer that question next. <laughs> Actually, Bill, I, I would like your opinion on something that I, that I heard in the news recently. Um, I heard that the Army approached Microsoft with a plan for buying up a heck load of Xbox 360s with which to train their soldiers, and Microsoft shot them down and was like, no way, Jose, or, you know, Senor what's-his-name, um, because... They didn't want to be associated with the violence of the army heaped upon their already video game bad rap of being violent. They thought that um, maybe their demographics mothers would not enjoy that and then would would all go buy PS3s. Well, uh, there's actually there's two true things in that story, but they're two different stories. Okay. Um, the first one is the U.S. military actively uses video games as a recruitment tool. And uh, in some major malls in the United States, there is recruiting centers where the kids can play America's Army, which is sort of the most famous video game that was developed especially for re- recruiting. I mean, the, the, the video games are played by the exact demographic that the army wants. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a no, they can't miss the army can't miss on that one. Now, the story I heard about this was that it was the air force and they bought a ton of PS threes because for a cost for the processing power, PS threes are really cheap. So I think it costs 400 bucks for a PS three. And it costs something like twelve or thirteen hundred bucks for a full blown PC. And what they found is they could cluster these PS3s together to create very, very inexpensive supercomputer. And and I mean, obviously it's not on like a Blue Ridge or a Cray sort of thing, but they found that, you know, with a very small investment of, 
you know, uh, $10,000 or so, they could make a very powerful uh, a distributed computing environment. That That's what I heard from that that story, but I would have to go to Google News and, and poke around. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Seems neat. Anyway, uh, does anyone else have anything to add? I like video games. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I like turtles. I was going to be like, what? Really? Yes, I have a question. Um, we wanted to have you on at the beginning of the show, uh, Professor, but uh, you, you you were occupied with other uh, duties. What what was keeping you okay, from the rest okay. of the show? <laughs> okay, very funny. Um, so here's the thing. I... Um, I uh, I was playing, believe it or not, Dungeons and Dragons. With- <gasps> Heaven forbid! I know there was four four seventeen year old kids and my my dear dear friend, who I went to high school with. were were all um, we're all here in this living room, and I I gotta tell you something, guys. It it really they loved it. They absolutely loved it. They, and it really reinforced in in my mind that the one of the best ways to access kids and one of the best ways to sort of pick kids up and bring them out and and get them engaged and involved is through play and especially fantasy play like through video games or 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 any of I mean I was sort of listening to this to your show before you, you know before I came on and all of this sort of science fiction stuff, capital science, capital fiction, capital stuff, um, it's got to be the best. It's, it's just such a powerful tool. So here we are, guys, 2010. What did I have? I had an, an ancient or an elder blue dragon, okay? And I had four 21st level characters. We're playing the D&D 4E rules, which people are passionate about, but I happen to like it. And they loved it, man. They absolutely loved it. And, you know, one of the things video games can't do is roll a one on a D20. And we had a couple of colossal, <laughs> had a couple of colossal failures. I mean, it was hilarious. And, and they're amped and they're talking about it. And they were taking pictures of the miniatures with their smartphones and man- <laughs> their friends. And, oh, wow. And, you know, and, of course, when they first started, they were sort of hanging their heads in shame like, Oh God, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. It can't get any worse than this. And then, <laughs> by the time, by the time oh. done, you know, there was a 980 hit point dragon. And uh, let me see. Let me just count here really quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They killed that dragon in ten rounds, which, if you know anything nice. about me, is really impressive. So. Um, they had a hell of a time, and I just I, – I, I don't know, guys. Maybe, maybe I'm not looking at this the right way. It just shocks me that in 2010, there's so much power left in that game. They loved it. Oh my God. You see, kids, you know, all those kids out there who are LARPing, you could be playing video games in Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, mm. Hey, uh, you, you've just gone one step too far, X. Hey, sometimes you get extra points for being a girl. Just say it. <laughs> Depends hey. on how much cleavage you show, generally. But. Oh, oh man. here, here. 
<laughs> That's true. Hey guys, uh, listen. I was I was wondering. I um. Let's see. I'm. This, I don't want you to think of this as a plug because I'm not trying to plug his business or anything. But oh, heaven forfend. Oh, please plug away. Okay. Well, um. So I talk a lot about um video games and learning on my blog macintee.org. But I started this consulting business last year called Balanced Gaming, and the whole point of this site is to help people understand how games work in schools. And so if you are interested, if you want to throw it on the show notes or something, it's uh, balancedgaming.org or balancedgaming.com. And basically it's a site for parents, for gamers, and for schools to go learn a little bit more about how I think games kind of fit into our lives in in 2010. So, you know, I don't make any money uh, when somebody comes and visits the site, but um, I certainly think that this is a conversation, guys, that needs to continue. And, and people need to hear that games actually make a difference. And, yes, they, they help kids learn. And, yes, they're very powerful learning tools. And, yes, it's not just like – I mean we can joke like, okay, I played, you know, I, I played World of Warcraft. Um, I played World of Warcraft. Uh, how come I'm not smarter? Um yeah, that's right. Cool. Um, uh, but that, you know, if you really sit down and think about how to mold the, the game um, and, and mold the instruction and design, it, oh, man, it makes a huge difference in learning. And that's kind of the main point I wanted to, to get across to you guys tonight, you know? Nice. Excellent. Thank you so Excellent. much. Bill, it's been a pleasure having you with uh, us tonight. It really has. A real honor. You know what I love about your show is is how much fun you guys have. And I got to tell you, it's, I just think it's a special thing. And, um, you know, I, uh, I guess I just got hired to be the director of technology at the American School of Warsaw in Poland. So I'm going to be running their whole technology department. And I can't wait to get started there. And I hope, like, if I could bring one-tenth of the fun that you guys put into the universe every day, I think I will be a great success. Well, Bill, all you have so, to do is hire us. We'll be happy to come out. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with that whatsoever. Look, look for the letter in the mail. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Hey, listen, you. you know what? I'm looking at the old clock on the wall, and it says, uh, oh, it's dripping. Oh, no, that's the Picasso print. Never mind. <laughs> uh, and that being said, and me having said it, uh, Mr. X, I do believe yep. you have some things to say. Yes, before indeed. Before we head off into the hinterlands tonight. Well, it looks like we're coming up on the end of another episode of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. On our coming up calendar, next week we'll be talking to Steve Letary of SciFinal.com. March 6th, we'll be speaking to author and game designer David Niall Wilson. March 20th, Michael Dougherty and cast of Brown Coats the Movie. Oh, I want that one so bad. Brown Coats, you guys know that I love you. This is the Dome saying I love you guys. Oh, yeah. Don't forget that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is sponsored by the Boston Comic-Con. We are the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con where you can meet the cast of Sci-Fi Saturday Night this April 10th and 11th. Check out the guest list at bostoncomiccon.com. 
We are also the official podcast of Comic Art House, your source for original comic book artwork. Go to comicarthouse.com for the best deals on your favorite artists. Tell Bob and Kim that Sci-Fi Saturday Night sent you. <laughs> and that being said, and us having said it, from high atop Area 51, I am the Dome. From the Four Color Vault Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, X, Dead Redhead, a pleasure as always. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. From the Alston Brighton Hellmouth in Boston, Kriana, thank you so much for all you do for us. In the famous words of the Fresh Prince, smell you later. <laughs> and this is the Dome saying, you know what? The Amazon Trail, I killed that one in a day. The Jordan <laughs> Trail, however, I died over and over again. again. Good night, everyone. 